God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. We're kicking off a new series entitled No Filter, uh, The True You. And I couldn't help as we began to uh, just think through the series. I, I kept going back to a child that Wendy and I have, we still have him, um, <laughs> who had no filter. I mean, growing up, never had filter. He was the kind of kid that when you're out in public with him, you're kind of hoping you don't get stopped and start talking to anybody because you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. You know, I mean, just little simple things like the lady at church, why is your nose so big? You know, doctor's office, hey doctor, why is your face so long? I mean, things like that. Uh, Servicemen at the house, why do you smell? I mean, just things like crazy things like that. I want you to understand, as we're talking about no filter and the true you, we're not talking about insensitivity. We're not talking about you being lazy with your language regarding who you are. Um, Don't get me wrong. I think it's refreshing in this day and age where there's so much political correctness and public shaming and cancel culture. It's wonderful when people tell you what they really feel. I personally am someone that loves someone who is frank or someone who is direct and someone tells me what they're really thinking. That being said, now listen to me as we're getting in this political environment, hear your pastor on that. That being said, is never though an excuse for you to let your speech ever degrade, disrespect, or discriminate. That should never happen on social media. That should never happen outside of from your mouth, coming from your mouth. Um, but honesty, hear me, honesty laced with truth and humility is refreshing. Can I hear an amen? It's just, it's refreshing. And, and when it comes to your identity in Christ, it should never be filtered by you or anyone else. So here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to write down unfiltered words, one word described, descriptors, who do you think you are? Unfiltered. You know, the Bible says from, from the mouth of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you could just unfilter, describe yourself with one word, what would, what, how would you describe yourself? Who in the world are you? One word. Just jot them down real quickly. Now, as you're doing that, get ready, because now we're going to turn to Scripture, and I want to see what the Bible has to say about who you are. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how it starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, he starts off, you know, the apostle Paul. Um, And apostle just means sent one. And straight from there, the sent one from Jesus Christ, Paul, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. Now, seriously... Saints? I mean, I don't know that any of you, unless you cheated and you listened to the message last night or you saw the title of this morning's message, uh, Sinner or Saint, you would have ever even used the word saint in a describer of yourself. I sure wouldn't have. I mean, maybe husband. Now, let's just for a second, what are some of your descriptions? I don't want you to yell them out. Let me just say what I think some of you wrote down. Husband, uh, entrepreneur, uh, businessman, um, uh, athlete, uh, you know, U.S. citizen, African-American, um, lover of Trump, hater of Trump, um, Republican, Democrat, independent. I mean, there's so many different things. Gay, straight, um, faithful, loving, charming, good-looking. That's more than one word. Um, you, you know, lots of different things you could do to describe yourself. But, but the chances are, saint was not in your describer. 
your descriptor of who you are. If anything, if we're, this is, I love this. Let's just be brutally honest. If we're really honest, we might side more with sinner than saint. Anybody feeling me on that? When it comes to my emotions, I don't wake up with a halo, do you? No, I think, I think if I had to use one of those words to describe me, I would probably lean towards sinner over saint, and I'm your pastor. That's probably not good, but that's being brutally honest with you, and I want you to be honest. And truth is such a liberating thing when we embrace it, and it's used the right way, and, and I want you to be honest today as you're trying to understand who you see yourself, and more importantly, how does God see you? Paul, as I mentioned to you, he says he's the apostle, he's the sent one, and uh, powerful man, a brilliant man. When it comes to Christians, we need to really understand how amazing he was. Uh, over half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, perhaps 13 books were written by him, and, and some even debate whether or not Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, was written by Paul. And if that's the case, that makes 14 books written by him. That's phenomenal, right? But it doesn't end there. Uh, the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, was written by a guy named Dr. Luke. But from chapters 13 through chapter 28, do you know what he's writing about? The Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. So we need to understand when Paul speaks, the church listens. Back then and here today. And he starts off as the Apostle, apostle speaking to these Ephesians, these, these Christians in Ephesus. The book that the letter he wrote, we call it a book, uh, we call the book of Ephesians, but it's referring to a city that was in Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, called Ephesus. Ephesus um, is, is, is an interesting dynamic city. It's a church, it's, excuse me, it's, it's a city where Paul actually founded the church there on, on his like, second missionary journey. And on his third missionary journey, he spent two and a half years in Ephesus. The church was blowing up in a good way, growing so fast. And it became a place where he created a training center. And he sent out more apostolic people with apostolic giftings to, to plant churches all around the Roman world. It's pretty cool. But the other thing I found interesting about Ephesus is that it was similar in size to Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and yet, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome and Athens were larger than Ephesus. It'd be like Chicago or LA of our day. And commerce was a really big deal. You can kind of expect that if it's a major city. Commerce was really happening. Um, it was a major hub for both land and water. So a lot of trade going on. Uh, it was also the major banking center for the Temple of Artemis. Artemis was a, was a goddess. The Romans called her Diana. And uh, it was, what's kind of crazy is to this day, one of the most important archaeological digs is taking place um, at the Temple of Artemis. It's considered to be uh, one of the seven great wonders of the, of the ancient world. I mean, it's, they only say there's seven of them, and this is one of them. Get this. Uh, Nebraskans will appreciate this, how the size of it. It was larger than Memorial Stadium. That's how big it was. Now, why is that important? Because you need to know, as he's writing these believers in Ephesus, they're surrounded in a culture of religion. It, it's a huge deal to them. They, they, the religion was a really big deal to the people in Ephesus. They were a highly spiritual people, but they weren't God's people. It's a diverse community because of all the trade route. People are coming and people are going. And, and so there's lots of cultures, lots of religion, lots of spirit, spirituality, lots of complexity. Uh, Ephesus in addition to all that, was founded by the Greeks. It was a Greek colony. Now, what do we know about the Greeks? The Greeks, 
They loved literature. They loved recreation. They loved athletics. They loved education. Kind of sounds like us. So I, I say all that to say that I think these people that, that Paul is writing to weren't that different than us. And it's important that as we're reading this and we're diving into the book of Ephesians, that they wrestled with some of the things that maybe we even wrestle with. Uh, one other just kind of interesting note is that when Paul wrote this letter, he had been away from the church in Ephesus five to six years. And when he wrote this, he was in prison. And where does Paul start? How does he open up this letter to these believers in Ephesus? What does he say? Look back at verse one. He says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, not vile sinners, not you people that are sinners being reformed, not a certain denomination. He calls them saints, saints. Now, I got to admit, when I was a young disciple of Jesus and I read that, when I read Ephesians for the first time and I heard Paul call them saints, I'm thinking, this must be like the elite crack troop of Christendom back then. You know, and I, I, they probably don't deal with the temptations I deal with and they probably don't deal with the sin I deal with. And so I, I just kind of put them at another level. Or perhaps you're hearing Paul address these people in, in Ephesus as saints and you're wondering about what you were taught because some of us have grown up in more traditional settings where we were taught that to become a saint, you had to be dead. And you had to be a dead believer who had lived a superhero's type of life. And then the church would, uh, the, for, the, the, the formal church would then uh, put, put that in, dead individual through a series of tests. And if that person passed seven to eight different tests, they then would be, would then the church would decide whether or not that person would become sainted or enter sainthood. And, and while that's a church's version of sainthood, it's not the biblical perspective that Paul has when he's writing the Christians in Ephesus. I only point this out, not to be argumentative, not to tread in anybody's dogma or tradition, but to tell you, and I think this is really clear, I think everybody would agree with me on this, Paul is not writing to dead people. He's writing to people who are believers. And now, blow your mind, think with me for a second. These Christ followers are eight years or younger in Jesus. These are not like superhero Christians with, you know, they're, they're walking above the clouds and never dealing with stuff. They're, they're dealing with the same uh, temptations we have, the same age stage challenges when you get older. They're dealing with the same stuff when it comes to uh, morals and sexuality and finances. Uh, they, they, they're going through the same emotional roller coaster day after day that we have through our relationship challenges and challenges in the workplace. These people do not have a halo over their head. They don't have some angelic nuclear glow about them. Whoa. No, they're just like us. So why does Paul begin this way? Why does he, he's strategic. Why does he start, and why does he address them and identify and give them a descriptor, this, this descriptor of being a saint? What's up with that? Saint, by the way, means holy one. But you know, they didn't have all their acts together. They were imperfect, but yet he calls them holy ones. What gives with that? Why is he calling them Saints, what's really going on there? See, I, I believe what Paul is doing is Paul is establishing, uh, he's seeking in his letter to the church in Ephesus what he's seeking to do for the church at Christ's place 
And that is to establish an identity for us. And if Paul starts there, we need to start there. If Paul starts there, I want to start there. Do you see yourself as a saint? I don't know that many of us do, but I would love it this week if you just began to reflect on that. I I, I believe it would do something in your spirit. I really believe that God wants you to begin to see yourself the way God sees you. And you say, Rick, why is that a big deal? Because you need to know who you are, so you need to... So, you'll need to, so that way you'll know what to do with your life. It's the who before the do. And we, we talked about this in our habit series, but then we were talking about dreaming about who you want to become. Paul's not talking about who you're becoming. He's talking about who you are right now. Here at Christ Place, we talk about chasing the ideal. What's ideal versus what's real? And that's the journey of discipleship. And you know, there's the real of what we live with, and then there's the ideal of what God wants, and, and you try to close the gap. Well, this is, this is very similar, but here's what Paul's saying. Your position in Christ isn't just ideal, it's practical. That your position in Christ is key to you being liberated when it comes to your condition in Christ. And God wants to close that gap. And he wants you to know, man, that when it comes to being a saint, it's not just about security from hell in the afterlife, but it's security from living like hell today. And if you don't know who you are, man... Then, then you won't know what to do with your life. And it affects not just your future, it affects you right now, how you walk into your marriage, how you walk into your workplace, how you walk into parenting your kids, how you, how you, how you handle your friendships and what, kind of, what you do at parties. And it becomes so practical, but you've got to be able to sit in that place of position of who I am in Christ, that before anything else, before I'm a sinner, I am a saint, a general who walks into... The barracks, the U.S. Army general who walks into the barracks and doesn't understand who he is, forfeits his opportunity to inspire and lead those around him. And we have Christians today, many of us in the house, we walk into our, our places of employment or into our homes or the way we're dealing with our spouse. And because we don't know who we are and we're going, we're kind of, we're thinking through all this other descriptors of who we are, because we don't know who we are, we're forfeiting the opportunity to inspire and lead. If your first thought as a Christ follower is, I am a sinner, then when you're tempted with sin, you'll do what sinners do. If sainted and tempted, then you begin to understand there is a power in Christ, not in your own self, in Christ, that allows you to rise above the muck and mire of our day, our culture, our personal lives, our family situations, our work environment. Come on, somebody. You're a saint in Jesus Christ. This this is big, but it's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. I mean, just in the book of Ephesians... 38 different times, Paul, in various ways, says to the Christians there, you're in Christ, you're, you're in him, you're his beloved. Why? Because he, he wants them to understand their identity. That's where God starts. This is the way Jesus started with anybody that followed him. He always started working on the inside out. He, he wants you to know who you are in him. Church, man, change is never easy. But it's impossible to experience life transformation if you don't understand your identity. 
There are so many of us in the house today at our campuses online. When you look in the mirror, you can't even see a saint. All you see is what you once did. All you see is what you're caught up in now. All you see is, is the stuff that's been haunting you for years or what's going on in your family or in your workplace. And God says, no, the first thing I want you to see is who you are because of my son. And it revolutionize how you live. I think it's crazy. Religion works backwards. And I say religion generally, world religions. And, and even, even um, I think Christians can fall in the trap of this. You see the staircase Everything with self-help and religion, and they try to they try to get you to climb a staircase to God. They they, they got to do all these things to, to to be right with God, to have a good relationship with God. And yet God works just the opposite. Jesus works just the opposite. He starts from the top and works down. He he starts from the inside out, because your identity, your identity, literally, it determines your beliefs. You know, um, what we believe then about God and ourselves then affects everything else. This is such a big deal. I mean, the identity aspect of, of who we are. You see, if, if you can understand and truly believe that your identity first is in Christ and that he sees you as righteous, as a holy one, not because of all the stuff you do, not because of your laurels, not because of your accomplishments, not because of how much money you have, not because of what kind of cars you drive, not because of the kind of things you have, but if, but if you would just recognize it's because of what Christ has done for you, that revelation creates a... a, a, a Man, an earthquake within your soul, a revolution of sorts that then impacts you. And, and here's the thing. It's a lot easier to climb down the staircase than it is to try to climb up it. See, belief becomes a lens, a contact lens over your heart. And you begin to interpret life and your actions and you use your capabilities all based on what you believe. And many of us don't even know what we believe. A lot of what we believe, we find out only in the midst of a, an experience that we're, we're having. And yet, Jesus wants to work there. He really wants you to begin to, to see and believe who you are in him. You know, our expectations come from our beliefs. Some per perceived rejection comes from beliefs. Attitudes that we all carry in the house come from beliefs. Uh, I don't really matter. I'm not going to get the job. Or, or you know, I, I, I don't think God loves me enough to answer my prayers. Those are all beliefs that are reflecting a wrong identity in God. And he wants to expose it. But we keep trying many times to climb the staircase. I, I can't spend a lot of time on this. But this, this is what many of us even now are doing in our spiritual journeys. We think if I can just change the environment, turn the channel, put some different music on, walk out of the room, not have so-and-so in my life. If I can just get to church. We, we think environment is the key when it's not. It's not, you know, and, and then we think, well, maybe it's about behavior and that's religion specialties, behavior. If you just act right, do the right things, that's religion especially. If you, but the problem with behavior is we all have limitations when it comes to our capabilities. Some have more discipline, some have less discipline. That's why habits can get you in a horrible dysfunctional loop. That's why you have to understand when it comes to life transformation, it doesn't come from the bottom up. It's not going to come from coming to church. It's not going to come. Believe me, church can help. Believe me. Yes. Uh, working with behavioral things can help. Yes. Your, your, your capabilities matter. God wants you to use them. But ultimately for the Christ follower, what keeps us on a level field, what keeps us from having uh, these really, really clicks or this, this club mindset, this, the, the key to us not thinking we're better than anybody else is to recognize what God has done in you that he is the one that has sainted you 
Whew. Belief. It isn't, Bob Hamp said this, belief is not just in your heart. It's over your heart. And God wants you to know what it feels like to be at the top of the staircase. That you can rest in him. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I've gone through. Man, you don't, or pastor, I don't, I don't think I can, I can forgive that person. Or I blah, blah, blah. I've heard so many things. And, and we're living at the bottom of the staircase. And what we're really saying is, my condition is stronger than God's position. What we're really saying is, my unforgiveness, my ability to not forgive somebody is greater than God's ability to forgive me. And some of us were just climbing. Guys, have you ever done, have you ever like run the stairs before? Listen, you're not allowed to do it here at Christ's place, but try it someplace else. I mean, it, when I was in, on the wrestling team, man, our coach had us run the stairs all the time. And, and going down wasn't the problem. It was going up. Some of you are weary. See, everything in life is over you. And God wants you to be over it. But it starts with your identity. It starts with you understanding your position in Christ. Such a big deal. See, the good news, the good news is Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. A lasting change on the outside can only happen from a convincing change on the inside. My position in Christ trumps my condition in life. This is, this is it. This is where we got to live. Am I a sinner? Yeah. Have I sinned? Yeah. But what trumps my condition is my position. See, only when I put my confidence in who Christ has made me, only then can I begin to make my condition more like my position. Definition of insanity. What? Doing the same thing, expecting different. And that's what some of us are doing in our spiritual journey. Because we keep trying to climb the ladder, staircase. Let's try it different. Let's see what faith can do. Let's believe in the power of belief that we'll trust God. And that means if we'll surrender to how God sees me, that he can change me from the inside out. And walking down the staircase is so much more thrilling and so much more fun. Some of us are confused. Hey, but Rastrick, I thought you said we're sinners. We are sinners. But that shouldn't be the focus of your core identity. The core focus of your identity is you have a savior. You say, well, I thought you said sin is, is, okay, pastor, I get the idea that sin is the stuff that we do that we shouldn't do, and sin is also the things that we don't do that we need to do. That's sin, and, and, and I get what you're saying. God has forgiven me of all of that, and I, when, when God the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. Jesus died for those, that, act, that wrong activity, those bad thoughts. Jesus, but you also say, pastor, that sin is our nature. It was your nature. You, that was your old nature. Paul talks about this being your old man. It's your old nature that Jesus crucified on the flesh. This is what water baptism represents for us, that when you're going down the wa- in the water, it's symbolic of that old man being buried, dying with Christ. And when you come up out of the water, it's symbolic of your resurrection, this new nature you have. So you, you are a saint, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done. That you're receiving that resurrected nature from him which means you can live differently, which means, yes, you will sin some of the time, but you're a saint all of the time. See, sin will define your your inclinations of your nature and your activity, but it doesn't have to define your identity. There's a big difference. I hope some of you get this. There's a big difference from being sin 
and having sin. And pre-Christ, we were sin. But now it's different. And God sees you different. It's why we have this language around here at Christ places. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It's because of what Christ has done. It's that revelation that motivates and allows us to look at things differently. See, we have a wrong view of the gospel in the house here. Some of you think you give your life to Jesus. You, when you give your life to Jesus, you give Jesus your sin. Um, and then someday you go to heaven and you spend eternity with him. But in the meantime, good luck. You're on your own. That's how some of us live. When that's not really what the gospel is at all. The, the right view of the gospel is you give your sin to Jesus. You receive a new identity in Christ. And then you actually live a new life in Christ and eventually spend eternity with Christ. That's the right gospel. I kind of put it this way because I don't see me wrestling with this. Well, if I'm a saint, then I got sin. How can I be a saint and have sin? Because saint is not sinless, but a saint does sin less. Sit on that for a second. A saint is not sinless. They just sin less. Uh, This is the thing that people don't understand, that when you give your life to Christ, he rebirths your soul. So now you become sensitized to things that you never, never would have been sensitive to. I, I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, man. I felt more like a sinner after I gave my life to Jesus than before. I felt worse because God was showing me things that he wanted to bring change in my life. And that's a disciple who wants to be more like Jesus is open to that. And so you welcome a thing called conviction. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit points something out to you. The hard thing for me when I was a young disciple, and to this day I still sometimes struggle with this, is discerning the difference between conviction and condemnation. See, some of you need to take notes on this because if you're going to grow in Jesus, you're going to, you're, you're going to be challenged with this. See, conviction is guilt with hope. Condemnation is guilt with no hope. This, this is a really big deal. See, conviction leads to life, but condemnation leads to despair. Conviction ends in joy while condemnation, man, it ends in sorrow. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe we can't change. Conviction leads to a new identity in Christ while condemnation leads to an identity associated with sin. Conviction brings an awareness of sin while condemnation brings a vague uncertainty about your salvation. Conviction looks to Jesus while condemnation looks to self. Conviction is a blessing while condemnation is a burden. Then Paul starts his letter. He says, his apostle to the saints in Ephesus, look what follows that. He says, man, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying when it comes to you being a saint, You've got to let your identity be rooted in who God is, not what the world says. And Satan is an ally with our culture and our world, and he wants to condemn you. See, the big difference between conviction and condemnation is that conviction comes from the character of God our Father. While condemnation comes from Satan, our Father's enemy and our adversary. And so when it comes to condemnation, some of you are living in it right now. Say, you know what I'm talking about. Satan wants your identity to be in your sin. He wants you trapped in your sin. He wants you to never be able to leave it. He wants to besiege your soul with it. He wants you to have no hope for the future. He wants to shame you. He wants to remind you. He wants to condemn you. He wants to destroy you. He hates your guts. He wants your whole life being crowded with, crowded with darkness that you're never going to make yourself change. You're never going to become someone special because that's just the way you are. That's condemnation. He wants the 
worst day of your life to be the defining aspect of every day of your life. And God, using Paul, says, no, you, my friend, you're saint. You're that general who's received an inheritance from God and you're walking in a world that's waiting for someone to be inspire them, waiting for someone to influence them. Hmm. See, the beautiful thing about being a saint is a saint has power over sin because Christ says he's the alpha, the omega. What he begins, he always finishes. Stop not running to God when you sin. It doesn't make you less of a saint. It actually shows you that you're being aware. And he's trying to help teach you what it means to run to the source of change. That's why Hebrews tells us to boldly approach the throne room of grace in our time of need, where we'll find help. Run to the source of change. You don't clean yourself up so you then can go to God. You go to God and you let him clean you up. Because he's your source of your identity. He knows what a saint looks like. See, there's two wrong extremes here, and I, I'm going to close with this, this because I think some of us are in one of these two camps. One camp is, I can't change. I just can't. And you're hopeless. And you're despairing. And the other is, is, is a person who's strong-willed, has high capacity, and, you know, really, really, I will make change happen. Both of those are wrong views of the gospel. For true life transformation, it starts with you knowing what it means to be seated in Christ's identity for your life. I know the chair is bigger than you. I know you don't deserve it. I know your feet don't touch the ground. But man, what God sees in you is what Jesus sees in you. Don't start at the bottom. If you're a Christ follower, believe. What saved you is what sustained you. Hmm. I love how he closes. He, he says, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So church, how will you be faithful? I mean, saints want to be faithful. And yet the Bible tells us he was faithful when we were faithless. I mean, do you see that the paradox here? But how are you going to be faithful in this week? Are you going to work harder? Are you going to feel bad? No, the answer is in verse 2. And he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. What does grace mean? Grace literally means undeserving. Unmerited favor. I don't deserve to sit with Christ. I don't deserve to sit at the top. It's never been about what you do. It's about his love, which is a sub-theme of Ephesians. 20 times. Talks about love. It's grace. It's you receiving that unmerited favor. That's how you, you even begin to believe that your identity is in Christ. That you're that special to him. And then he says peace. Peace isn't the absence of crisis and conflict. When you walk out of here, life's not going to change for you. Peace isn't the absence of crisis and conflict. Peace is the presence of a person. And it's you knowing in your sainthood, you have a God that has your back. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. 
If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.